Ma Coco? Aye. For Maui, it's a new beginning. With honor and deep respect, we're moving forward. We're ready to get people back to work. We all have to do our part, and we'll make this happen. Working together. We are ready to work. Ready to serve. All ready. 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 We are ready. For more information, visit makokomoe.com. The Mothership Podcast is sponsored by Hawaii Surrogacy Center. Start your family with Hawaii's leading surrogacy agency. The Mothership Podcast is sponsored by Hawaii Surrogacy Center. Start your family with Hawaii's leading surrogacy agency. Kitamoto Kodama and Ellen Sato Faust both live in Washington state and both share a personal connection to a dark period in the United States history, the internment of Japanese Americans. Now, Lily and Ellen both lead guided tours at the Bainbridge Island Japanese American Exclusion Memorial. Thank you so much, Lily and Ellen, for being with us. Yes, welcome. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. So um, just for some background now, we all, uh, Brooke, Noli, and I, we went to school at Seattle University. Uh, so there's the Washington State connection there. And Noli, you recently went on that tour, and that's where you met uh, Ellen and Lily? Yes, I got a chance to experience this memorial and the tour, in fact, with Ellen and Lily there. Um, and it was because my husband, um, his grandfather, Grandpa Nakahara, had fought in the 442 Battalion, um, which is part of the, um, the Japanese-Americans, the, the guys who went away and proved their loyalty to the United States, along with the 100th Battalion. Um, and so my husband uh, researched and found out about this memorial and was interested in in getting to look at it and it's a it's a beautiful space and um it's such a nice tribute to the families on Bainbridge Island who had to leave and the community there who supported them when they did leave um I had no idea yeah Steph because we went to school yeah. in Seattle and we didn't we did not know that Bainbridge Island had this much rich history for us mm -hmm. you know um the Asian and Japanese cultures. Yeah, and as you folks know, um, Hawaii has a large population of uh, Japanese uh, residents here, uh, and they probably would love to hear about this important uh, piece of history because like Noli said, we didn't have any idea that this happened. And we're very, uh, very interested in hearing your stories and, and we're thankful for you sharing those stories with us. And Lily, let's start with you. You were part of the group of 120,000 Japanese Americans to be removed from the West Coast for the duration of World War II. How old were you when you were forced to leave your home? I was seven years old. So what do you recall about that day? Um, 
I don't, uh, I was just a child and I did not know we were at a war. And in fact, the night before or the day before, my mother said, tomorrow we're going to be going to Seattle. We're taking the ferry to Seattle and it'll be like, we're, we're going to be taking a vacation. And even without her saying vacation, just the idea that we we're going to take the ferry to Seattle was exciting. And I remember tossing and turning at night, not able to sleep with excitement because we we're going to Seattle to the morning. And so, um, and then in the morning, um, there was much to do. One of the things I do remember is um, I, my mother picked out my coat to wear and I, I didn't like it. It was a plaid coat and I remember arguing with my mother. <laughs> I didn't want to wear that, but somehow she talked me into wearing that. And, and then when we were taken to the, um, I, I was the oldest of four children. My sister was five and my brother was two and a half and my baby sister was nine months old. So there's my mother, my father was had already been arrested earlier on February 19th. And so here, looking back, it was really quite remarkable that here's my mother doing all this. But anyway, when we got to where everyone was gathered, that was exciting too, because then I, all my aunt, uh, I had two aunts who lived on the um, Island and their family. So all my cousins were there. And so it was exciting to see all my cousins. And then I saw soldiers, real soldiers. Uh, and that was exciting. So from a child's point of view, it was um, exciting. And then not only that, we got on the ferry. And then, and then when we got to Seattle, we were placed on a train. And, I had never been on a train before, so it was like a special trip. Do you remember, Lily, um, anything your mom said, or did she just kind of kept things calm for you and your siblings so that, because I'm sure she was burdened with a lot going through this as you were young. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't remember much of what she said other than and 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 I in in those days um, you know even at seven years old today children today know what's happening in the world what with um, the computer and Google and um, newsreel and uh, but we were pretty ignorant about what's happening in the big wide world and, and I think our mothers, uh, trying to protect us from what was happening too. And then and, and then decide that I think no matter how awful the situation, if, if mom was with you, it doesn't, you know, it seems to be okay. And so that's what's astounding to me is that they, today they separated children from their parents um, at the border. And that, that, that's to me, it's, I, I can't understand that. But, so Lily, when, I guess, when did you notice that something wasn't right or are you, are you saying you never did? Well, uh, when we did arrive in Manzanar, which is in California, um, um, 
you know, the Mojave Desert, it, the environment was co the complete opposite of Bainbridge Island. It was a desert country. And, uh, but we did, I did have my cousins living right next door. We lived in the country when our neighbors are, could be miles, we could be miles apart. And, and we didn't have things like play dates. The only time we had playmates was during recess at school. And so it was still a lot of fun to have playmates right next, right next door. And we played the usual games like jump rope and hopscotch, but the most fun we had was playing hide and seek. And the best place to hide was under the barracks. And, um, but then our mothers gathered us together and said, do not hide under the barracks anymore because there are scorpions and rattlesnakes under there. If either one of them bites you, you can get really sick and you can even die. And, and see, we didn't have things like that where we live on Bainbridge Island. But the thing I think that made me realize this was not as when, um, I roamed away from our barracks and I walked quite a distance and I came to a creek and it was unusual to find a creek in the desert. And I got all excited because we had a creek on our farm and I took my shoes off and was ready to wade in it. And then I heard something and I looked up and there was a guard tower that was right at the edge of the encampment and there was a guard tower and I looked up and at the top was a soldier and, and he had a gun and then he turned and, and looked down at me and that scared me and I grabbed my shoe and I ran all the way back to the barracks and I don't think I ever told my mother where I'd been but I, I did say to her what kind of vacation is this anyway How long were you folks there? Well, we were in Manzanar not quite a year. And then the, the majority of the families from Bainbridge Island uh, petitioned and asked to be transferred to Minidoka, which is an encampment in uh, uh, Idaho, near Twin Falls, Idaho. And, and I, think, I think they probably thought that the climate is that Idaho is in the Pacific Northwest and maybe the environment would be more like what we have at home, but it was easy. also in the southeastern part of Idaho and the environment was exactly the same as it was in Manzanar. And then also that's where the families from Seattle were taken after they were incarcerated at the Piala Fairgrounds originally. And, and so many, uh, many, of the families from Bainbridge had relatives or and many friends from Seattle were there. And I think that was one of the reasons they asked to be transferred. Did anybody, did you ever witness anybody speak out against what was happening or? Pardon me? Uh, did you ever witness anybody speak out against what was happening to everybody there? Oh, see, I don't, well, that might be one of the other reasons about the Bainbridge Islanders being alarmed about Manzanar because, uh, see, we were the very first group of Japanese Americans to be incarcerated, even before the larger populations and the larger cities, such as um, C 
Seattle or San Francisco or Los Angeles or, or any of the other cities that here's Little English Island. But uh, anyway, but, uh, and so when we were taken to Manzanar, because that was one of the few places that could accommodate us as prisoners. I mean, think about it. The government eventually constructed 10 prisons to house eventually 120,000 people. But as they built more and more barracks, that's when the Japanese Americans from Los Angeles were brought into Manzanar. And they were um, city families. And we were actually country folk. And they had uh, young men who were in gangs. And they had uh, uh, Nisei, or second generation people, who were organizing and, and protesting what was happening. But see, I was unaware of that because I was still young, but this is what I've learned later. And, and uh, they uh, planned uh, a gathering, a meeting to talk about uh, protesting what was happening to us. And, and <laughs> history repeats itself because the same thing has happened in Seattle when what started out as an organization of just to gather together, uh, the, the armed guards, for some reason, uh, felt that there was a riot was starting and they shot into the crowd in that three, three East Nisei young men were shot and killed. And I think that alarmed the Bainbridge families because that was something totally against what they were used to. They didn't or have gangs in their group of they and anyway, so that may be another reason. But uh, I, I was just still uh, oblivious to all that sort of thing. It was really amazing how much you were protected and or I was I was not. I was oblivious to all that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, um, Lily, there's so much more that we want to learn more about your experiences and also um, maybe what you uh, realized afterwards. But, you know, I, I want to bring in uh, Ellen here because, Ellen, your father's family was incarcerated at the Tool Lake California Relocation Center during World War II. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And what can you tell us about uh, his experiences? Um, well, what I've learned since being on Bainbridge is it's repeated so many times. There's 120,000 individual stories from those who were imprisoned. And my father's family's story is quite different. Um, they were from Tacoma, Washington, and they were taken to Tule Lake, which is on the border of California and Oregon. And, you know, whereas Bainbridge, they were the first to go, but they were also this tight knit, you know, they were physically separated, but even today, families know families and it's a fairly tight knit, small community. And they went together and then largely stayed together. Well, Tacoma is a larger city and my father's family was pretty poor. His father had been uh, killed by a drunk driver, hit by a drunk driver when my father was 12. So there were four kids and a mom who didn't speak any English and didn't, you know, he was uh, working in the, in the mills like many of the Japanese immigrants. So 
Um, his mother didn't really work or anything, so they were really quite poor. And so when they were taken away, they didn't have this story of loss of a farm or a business or anything like that, but they were completely uprooted. And since my dad was um, a senior in high school, he was in the first graduating class um, at the Tule Lake High School. And his older brother and sister had already, they, they came and they left because you could go inland. You know, they completely evacuated the West Coast. But if you had um, the proper reasons and someone to receive you, you could go inland. So they went to Chicago. And my father graduated from high school in the camps. And then within a year, he went to Chicago as well. So their story is they got out fairly quickly, but then their family really dispersed. So I had an uncle who settled in Yonkers, New York, and an aunt who was in Torrance, California, and another uncle who was in Honolulu. And my dad ultimately um, went back to Tacoma after maybe 10 years or so. So it's just a completely different story of um, you know, what they lost and how it impacted their family. How has it impacted you? Me? <laughs> well, you know, I've learned a lot since being on Bainbridge because what my father told us was mostly positive. He said, if we hadn't gotten moved to the camps, I would have never fill in the blank because he went off and did his adventures. He went to college in Chicago. He traveled across the country several times. Um, he ultimately got a job at Boeing, which your husband did husband. too, right? Mm -hmm. So he felt that he was afforded a lot more opportunities by getting um, dislocated, you know, move, moved you know, involuntarily, but nonetheless at an age when he could make his way. Um, so, you know, I never thought about it as a kid, but I really think that that instilled in me, you know, hearing these stories really instilled in me a more adventurous spirit. I mean, you guys left Hawaii and went to Seattle and you know, you just need a little oomph to, to do those things and have the idea that yes, that would be fine and you could make your way. So I actually went to college in Chicago um, and you know, just did things that I think, you know, I never imagined myself just staying put in Tacoma where I was born. And I think that came in a roundabout way through the way he talked about his stories of adventure and how you make your own opportunities and kind of just a positive outlook on things about what you could do. All you have to do is try it, you know. Uh, but do either one of you have any, um, I wouldn't say anger, but uh, just uh, maybe you, you don't like the fact that this happened? You know, that's uh, other, I, I've spoken to several journalists or people who have interviewed me and, and I was stunned when someone asked me that question, the, for the first time I was asked that question, asked if I was bitter and I thought, oh, I'm not. I mean, I'm not, not in the sense that I, that it, it um, deters features my life or that it, it, in a negative way. And I thought, I wonder why I'm, I, I don't feel that way. And, and I, I think, um, and I still can't answer that directly other than 
that um, I, I still feel it was a terrible wrong and that was something that should not have happened and that it was something that the government should have and, and has apologized for, admitted that it was unconstitutional finally. Um, but that, and maybe that's why I don't feel there. Um, and, that, and probably it's because of how my parents handled it. Um, although my father, as I said, my father was arrested earlier and, and he was angry, one angry man about that. Uh, and he actually, most of the Japanese on the island were farmers, not all of them, but most were. My father was, my mother did not marry a farmer. He actually worked for uh, this uh, jewelry chain, Freelander and Sons, and he was a actually like a traveling salesman. That's why I didn't miss him because he was not always home. And he was actually arrested from his place of work, which was in Seattle. But anyway, but, uh, but he was a lifelong Republican because he, because President Roosevelt was a Democrat. And then when that time came for, I don't know if you remember the questionnaire that the two questions that was so controversial uh, and, and they and, uh, produced what they called the normal boys, the, the men, people who answer no to both questions. Well, my father was one who did, and I didn't learn that until my mother told me this. And that was when I happened to take her to a play that depicted a scene up from that. And anyway, he answered no, and one question was, do you uh, give up all allegiance to the Emperor of Japan, and the other was, are you willing to serve in the United States Armed Services? And my father first answered no to both of those, and and my mother was so upset with him because at that time they thought if you answered no to both, you would be automatically sent directly back to Japan. And my mother told me she got on her knees and and she never went against what my father said, but at that time she did, and she begged him to, because they did give everyone the opportunity to retake the questionnaire. And 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 so she did. She said she said Dad finally did say yes, yes to both. But she said she really, for the first time, really begged him and said that our children do not know anything about Japan. And, my mother was actually born in Seattle too, and, and my father really was but here brought to America as a baby, and so he really didn't know anything about Japan either. And anyway, and so um yeah, that's um and you know, can you talk about today and uh, are there a lot of signs of um, you know, the influence of the arrival of the Japanese in Washington state? Influence of the Japanese in Washington state. Any pe people yeah. who influence me or? I guess the community in Bainbridge specifically, since you folks um, have such a tight community there, how um, can you, describe the community sense there from the, the Japanese who were in turn and the community who, you know, who weren't Japanese American when you guys came back uh, 
and how it looks like today. Yeah, so um, is it thriving today? I mean, I guess Noli had mentioned to me um, before we met that um, one of the first markets, Noli, is that what you said? Mm -hmm. One of the first markets, the, one of the biggest open. markets in Bainbridge Island. Uh, I think we, I think I uh, recall that from the tour. It's a Japanese family that had been interned. There are so many, there's so many both relics of the Japanese. They, they came in the 1880s. So while the original, there had been an original uh, Japanese town near Blakely Mill, which was the large mill that attracted the Japanese. Um, there's almost nothing, the forest has really eaten up that, um, that town. So there's almost nothing left of it. But all throughout the island, there are place names, street names, my eye doctor, the um, town and country market, which you're referring oh, yeah, to, yeah. Um, started in part by the Nakata family, um, and they're still here today. So well, many of them. We started it in partnership with the Loveridge family, which is a Croatian family. So that's another telling thing. There was a connection between the Caucasians and the Japanese from the, from the beginning, uh, way back then. Uh, yeah, um, Nori and I went to Uwaji Maya Market uh, when we were in college. By any yeah. chance, does does that have ties to the first arrival of the Japanese? No, we don't, I don't think so. No, we have no. <laughs> Other than we love to shop. Yeah, it's a great yeah. market. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but yeah, the town and country market and the so no, there's many. Yeah, our um intermediate school is Sakai Intermediate School because the Sakai family had a very large farm and Mr. Sakai um, sold a large swath of his farm to the school district um, at the story goes at the cost that he purchased that land at. In, so in the 1920s. In the 1920s and he gave it to them in what about the 60s? Mm -hmm. In the 60s. Oh. So that and um, Woodward Middle School is named after Mary Woodward and the Woodwards were the editors of the Bainbridge Review, which was the newspaper at that time when the um, Japanese Americans were taken away. And they were the vocal pair who kept their editorials supportive of the Japanese and reminded everybody that they were friends and neighbors and people we knew. Um, and they sent, um, their employee to be a correspondent. So there was a constant communication back and forth during the entire internment period. While people were incarcerated, Bainbridge Islanders were hearing about what was happening, who won the ball game, who had a baby, who had passed away. All of that news mm -hmm. went back and forth. Likewise, the folks um, in the camps were receiving news about what was happening back home. Um, so the Woodwards are, you know, very prominent a name in Bainbridge history and the middle school is named after them. There's parks, there are farms, uh, there's evidence all over Bainbridge. And um, well, and, and actually, um, Junko Holloway, whose father and uncle started Bainbridge Gardens, which is one of the well-known plant nurseries in the area. And Don Nakata, who's the son of the founder of Town and Country and Central Market, and my brother Frank, who was a dentist, uh, the three of them were leaders in the Japanese American community. And they decided to uh, tell the story of the Japanese 
the history of Japanese Americans on the English island. And part of the history was the, what happened to us. And uh, they produced a pictorial uh, history. It was a, a, a portable, I don't know what you call it, but it's sort of a traveling mm -hmm. um, wall of, of history kind of that lays out the whole history of the Japanese. Yeah, and it went to schools and organizations and it told our history. And, and then from that, I think um, that they went to churches also. And I think that's what in, inspired the leader of the Kitsap County Interfaith Council of Churches. She came to the Japanese American community meeting and said, don't you think there should be a plaque or something that designates what happened during World War II to you folks? And from that idea of this plaque grew the idea of this millions of dollar memorial that we have today. And in fact, when that was being planned, there were Nisei or second generation, uh, a few, who did not like the idea of that at all. They, in fact, they called the three men, Junko and Dom and my brother, three angry young men, and thought that they should, uh, that, they, that, well, they said, you know, it was a terrible thing that happened to us, but we rose above it, and it was something that happened in the past, and we, we have now uh, managed to, Tried and and do well and and uh, it was something we couldn't do anything about and we moved on and so let's not bring all these bad memories back again and and they were I'm, I think they were worried about uh, restoring all the an animosity that they had experienced in the past but. Um, when we did finish the memorial, well, then my brother is the one who usually would give the tours, and, and I would actually not be the one doing it, and I would follow him, and he always said, when he do the tours, they said this memorial was not built to, per, to per point fingers and produce shame or guilt. Uh, it, it was built to make sure that some, to, to show what happened, and and to make sure that something like this does not happen again. And so in fact, that's the theme of the memorial is let it not happen again. And in Japanese, it's nidoto naiyomi. And, and anyway, afterwards, I, I did one of the men who was called my brother an angry young man said to me, I'm sure glad they didn't listen to me because it, he was so pleased with how the memorial turned out and how the response has been from the public about it. Wow, I'm really glad that both you, uh, Ellen and Lily were able to share with us because I mean, it really opened our eyes to uh, this important part of history. Um, it is not something to cast blame, like you said, or create negativity, but it is important to remember what happened in the past. And like you said, to prevent that from ever happening again. Um, and for our listeners out there, if they ever are interested and they're in the area, how could they go about, um, you know, scheduling a tour with you folks? They go to our website at bijac.org. 
and look for the drop down for visit. You can fill a form and make a request and it will actually come to me. <laughs> for now it comes to me <laughs> and I schedule the um, tours. So yeah, we have, gosh, some years we've had hundreds of tours since the pandemic it's fewer, but um, we've got probably three or four upcoming in the next yeah. two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, we're happy to have. It's picked up again. Yeah. But we have school groups and families like Noli's yeah. and people who just found out on TripAdvisor that it's one of the most visited <laughs> spots on Bainbridge Island. So we'd love to see everyone. Mm -hmm. Thank you folks for um, for being a part of that and, and Lillian Ellen for taking a, a, a role in keeping this part of history alive and sharing your stories with us. It, it's really, really eye-opening for me, particularly because we were there in Seattle for school and we had no idea about the history of Bainbridge Island or Seattle or Tacoma. Yeah, so, thank, thank you so you. much for being these important carriers of history. We really appreciate all that you're doing for the community and happy that we get to spread the word here in Hawaii to everybody. Thank you so much, Ellen and Lily, for joining us. Mothership Podcast is sponsored by Hawaii Surrogacy Center. Start your family with Hawaii's leading surrogacy agency.